Welcome to a special edition of The Edge. And today we're going to be talking about SASE architectures. What are the questions you should be asking your vendors about how they build out their clouds and why does that matter? And we have an expert, Joe DiPaolo from Netscope is our guide today. Joe's got a lot of experience in building networks. He's built networks at a massive scale for Limelight, AWS, and now Netscope. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's get into it. Um, networks matter. Uh, it, it's not just a matter of selecting a vendor and then trusting them. And it's it's like the man behind the, the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. How these networks are built, architected, and run matter at the end of the day. Because much like when you build a data center, um, what you put in there for redundancy, how you configure your routing, um, how you configure your failover has an impact on how your networks are going to run. So let's dive into it. Um, let's let's first let's actually let's break down what SASE and SSE are first for the audience. So um, kind of give us your definition of really what SASE and SSE are looking to accomplish. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the SSE and SASE, the Gartner uh, quadrants are really around um, two different things. The SSE is focused on the users of entities moving into moving into and using more cloud services. And so um, th there are services like SWIG and CASB, uh, Cloud Firewall, ZTNA, they make up the SSE quadrant and they're focused on securing your data, securing your users, protecting your intellectual property to the public internet, to public cloud services. And as the users have moved away from central offices and moved away to maybe their own devices or uh, personal Wi-Fi or other networks, you really need to be able to secure uh, all that activity. And then uh, birthed of SSE is the SASE quadrant, which brings into the more network-based focuses like SD-WAN and point-to-point -point other services. And so inevitably over the course of uh, my career and over time, the, the security network has merged, you know, peanut butter and chocolate, if you will, and it's a, it's a pretty good match. And so if you're using one or the other, you need to be very aware of the capabilities of of your vendor and, and what the underlying infrastructure is, because uh, it's a big part of both of these quadrants are the underlying networks, the cloud, the, the compute, the technology. Um, you can't just trust the vendor for their feature functionality. You really need to unfortunately look under that hood and, and see what you're getting yourself into. So SASE and SSE, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're looking to do is uh, bring together security and also networking. Uh, and each one of those uh, personas, the, the what they're attempting to do have different objectives. For security, it's really about reducing risk security. For networking, it's about speed. Um, and one of the challenges with architectures of the past is that you had to sacrifice one or the other. Um, if I sacrificed uh, speed uh, for security, I got reduced performance in terms of my applications. If yeah. I went with networking, security was kind of put, pushed to the side, and that's traditionally what we've done. That's one right. of the reasons for the architecture of SASE is that we're now placing both of those components uh, in the form of POPs, um, points of presence, closest to the user to reduce the latency, where we can also put those security treatments. Um, and to do that, you have to build out these massive networks and interconnect them um, and make decisions on where do I place the POPs. 
Um, so can you kind of talk to me about, you know, how, how do you see these networks built out and what kind of goes into the mechanisms of deciding how to build out a POP and what should be in a POP? Yeah, that's a great question. And it uh, reminds me of the old joke that the, the network operator's job is to speed up packets and the security's job is to slow down packets, right? And so if you uh, if you slow them down too much, then you can't do your job. And so there is a balance there between that. And typically what has happened is, and I hate to use this word, but control has been with the organization on the network piece, right? So you ran your own firewall, you managed your own fiber, your own data center, your own office, and you control the performance, and then, then you could layer in the, the security aspect. What happened was you lost control and the application, the use cases, the users all spread out. They're, at, they're not in a corporate office. The firewall's not on-prem. You don't have a single internet provider. And so now everybody's scattered. And so you have to be aware as you start to add security services, applications, clients, devices, whatever, you have to be aware of that end-to-end -end performance. And what happened was it got lost somewhere in that transition from on-prem to public cloud and the, the capability, the performance uh, was lost. And so what's happened now as part of this merging of network and security is everybody saying, wait a minute, if we can keep this going, if we can keep the performance, the connectivity, the throughput at a high level, then you're able to add security on top of that and not impact those users. And so the question you asked me was about kind of evaluating or building an infrastructure. And so most of the listeners here are going to be consumers of, of a cloud service, whether it's a security service or an application SaaS. And, and if you're a, if you're selecting a vendor that is operating a cloud service, the, the number one question you have to ask is, where are the servers, right? So where is this application running? How close is it to my users? How many locations are there? Um, is it full compute? And so it's very simple because most people assume it's on the internet or it's in a public cloud and they just leave it there. We've all seen the diagram from vendors where they represent the internet as a gray cloud. And it's just it's just always there on every map. It's just a gray cloud and that's just, it makes me warm and fuzzy and that's where it is. And the reality is you, you don't know anymore. You don't know where your users are, your edge locations, your remote offices. It, it, you have to have be aware. And the funny part of it is, is that you're merging security and network but you're not going all the way down the stack. You're not, are you aware of the layer one, layer two, the fiber, um, the failover connection? And all of that plays into an account. And when you're building a cloud service, the server location is the most important. If you're backhauling, if you have central locations, if you have different tiers of service within your servers, it's all going to impact user experience. It's all going to slow uh, slowed down the bits, and it's going to make it very complicated to layer in anything on top of that. And so the first question is, uh, where are the servers? I've I've had this conversation uh, in a previous life when I was in a business where we were talking about being cloud first and moving everything to the cloud. And I remember everyone saying, we should just do it. There's performance in the cloud. We can get CPU, we can get memory, we can get all of these things. And I'm like, yes, we can. But how do I connect to it? Like, it. like I have a data center and I can fill that data center with the best compute, the highest number of CPUs, the highest number of memory. But if I've got a one meg circuit between your desk and that room, it doesn't matter how powerful that is. That's and it. they got it. They got that idea of, okay, imagine we're just taking that data center and moving it to the cloud. If we're connected with a piece of string that's to it. that cloud, that's the problem. Yeah. 
That's um, exactly right. If your restaurant has 100 tables but one door, it's going to take forever to fill that restaurant. And so that connectivity, and so there's two ways to do it. One is to have more restaurants or have bigger doors, right? And so, so the idea here is the public clouds are amazing for application development, for data storage, for compute, uh, elast elastic, elastic compute, elastic storage. But the reality is if you're going to run or build an edge-based service, right, where latency is important, um, geodiversity is important, connectivity is important, putting your, your service in a couple regions is not going to get it done. The cloud provider networks are designed, their networks are designed to replicate data. They're designed for blast radius and failover. They're not designed to, to run compute on the edge, to carry traffic. And so it would be, it'd be very expensive to run in every region. And even still, you'd only be in 30 regions, right? So for example, Netscope infrastructure, we're in a hundred data centers. And so it's just a very different type of philosophy. And so if you're building an application, if you're running a, a service that can live in a central location that's not latency sensitive, the public clouds is nobody better. But if to your point, if you need connectivity, if you need a latency, if you need a, a large edge coverage, you're going to have to build uh, a build in more more places than one, which is where are the servers. If if your cloud service is in a, a public cloud and they're in three regions and you have users in ten countries, how does that work? How how you have to stop right there? How do you get any more applications on top of it? Right. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that people don't consider, whether we're talking about SSE vendors or SASE or, or the cloud providers themselves, as a customer, a lot of people don't sit down, as John said, don't look at the nuts and bolts. Don't look at, at, it's like when you're buying a car, it looks shiny on the outside, it's red, you like red, I'll buy it. Do you actually lift up the bonnet and have a look in and go, well, the engine's missing? That's and exactly that's, right. But, but I mean, hold on, what's the first question you ask when you're buying a car, how many miles are on it, right? <laughs> and so that's, that gives you a sense of, of use. And so the same thing, if you're using a cloud service, how far are the servers from my users is, is, the, is the, you know, the same thing, right? Yeah. Right. And then and then you have the complexity of of all the 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 geographical differences. So, for example, if you're using a, a public cloud service and you have users in countries that aren't aren't connected, you're going to have the wrong language. You're going to have the wrong authentication. You're going to have security concerns in that level. If you're if you're in Mexico and the closest region is in Dallas, everything's going to be in English. And so there's so many levels of, of complexity, whether it's latency user experience, and then you have all the other aspects of that. And so besides just, well, it's fast enough, is it in the right places? Is it connected to the right things? Because a lot of that stuff matters from that user experience. On top of that, you also have regulations, you know, your GDPR, where uh, data has to be resident within uh, a region to be um, successful. So uh, there's exactly that right. aspect as well that you need to start asking questions. And then that uh, we're not even going to open the can right now of of China oh, yeah. and Russia and, and you know, where the world is headed in terms of, you know, is the internet going to be the internet or are we going to balkanize? That's, right. that's uh, exactly internet? right. So that's another yeah. area to, to dive into. But Jay, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you, you said pretty much what I was going to say. I mean, I, it wasn't that long ago that, and, and even now many people still have what I class as a legacy VPN, right? But the, the power of those legacy VPNs are they were generally in every single site that corporate company owned. Right, you wouldn't generally have right. them in in your main data centers because you're traversing over to get to that main data center. You would generally have some form of firewall or VPN concentrator in your site, so data remained in country because you were in that country. You VPNed into there. 
take away all of the risks of legacy right. VPN, but moving everything to the cloud and talking about SSE and, and you, you really do need to consider where is that data traversing, not only from a latency point of view, but also from a jitter point of view and from a data sovereignty point of view, because if you're in the US That's accessing it. data in the US, but the pop you're going through happens to be in the UK, for instance, that's export control. Maybe you're not right. You're, you're and there's all that's these exactly other right. things. Well, and then it gets to it gets to the next next topic. So the first question is servers, and the next question is the network itself and who manages it. So if you're building a cloud service on top of somebody else's network, you lose a lot of that. Here's the word again: you lose a lot of control. Right, you lose a lot of ability to. What are you routing for? Are you routing for hot potato or cold potato routing? Are you backhauling? Are you um, are you peered or not peered? Transit. So if you don't have that control and visibility on the network, we build on the server locations, the 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 geographical dispersity, but then you have the network itself. How is it connected? And if you're using a transit provider, they have a lot of trouble with the middle mile and making money. If you're using a public cloud, their networks are designed to replicate, not to get users in. And so there really isn't a good source of a, there's no global carriers, there's no one uh, focused on this. And so if you're, you're building a cloud service and you have edge users, you have to have some level of control over the network paths, the performance and the connectivity on top of that server location. So let's break down some of the architectures out there because sure. not all SASEs are made the same. Uh, some uh, <laughs> some build their own, some uh, leverage public cloud, some uh, you know are are um, managed uh, instances. Um, kind of give us some of the the styles, uh, the different sure. vendors out there and, and their architectures. The, the 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 number one and the overall majority of your cloud services. Uh, in SASE or SSD or really in anything is going to be built on a public cloud. And so GCP, Amazon, uh, AWS, um, or Azure are the, the three main uh, services, but there's plenty of others. Uh, uh, your Akamai's, your Oracle, StackPath, there's plenty of other vendors, but built on a third-party cloud service. Uh, and there you're limited by a few things. Uh, if you're building that cloud service is geographical dispersity, right? The, the most you're going to get is a few dozen locations. Um, loss of any kind of control uh, over their network. And it's very, very expensive uh, to whether you forget the compute service, it's very expensive to move bits in and out. And so typically what you have is uh, a small subset of those regions, uh, a small subset of that of the edge infrastructure, and then you're at the mercy of that that cloud service. And so if you're just starting, if you are in one region, maybe you deliver only in a certain part of the world, you can get away with a public cloud. But if you have to be uh, in more than a few locations, a few countries, a public cloud service is going to be uh, very limiting from a edge-based cloud service, right? The, the second option is to build uh, within your own infrastructure, right? This is a, a less popular, and that would be um, using like an Equinix, uh, using transit providers. Um, the problem there is, is you can't you can't do it a little bit, right? You can't because the backhaul will kill you. And so if you're not in all the right places and connecting with all the right carriers, um, using your own infrastructure, buying transit from, from network providers. Like I said earlier, there are no global carriers. And so you're going to have to try to piece together the right carrier mix with the right eyeballs, with the right users. And that usually is very, very challenging. Um, uh, and you, and you can't do it. You can't do a few places like the public clouds have global networks. And so they'll get you where you need to go, 
But if you're building a limited version of of pops, if you do a handful of Equinix here and there, you're going to be backhauling everything. And, and again, where are the servers located? Because that's going to lead to a lot of issues. And then the third option uh, really comes down to a, an ISP or a carrier type network um, that's similar to um, a CDN or similar to uh, a carrier where you have geographical, to, to, you're in almost every country, you're you're connected to every internet provider. And, and those are very far and few between. There aren't a lot of those. Uh, but that really, when it comes down to this merging of network and security, is the visibility and the performance of every location where you connect to all the right carriers, you connect to all the cloud providers. You're in just about every country. You have a, a um, localization issues uh, resolved, like you said, data locality. And so there are very few options there, but that takes a lot of effort, money, and time to build that type of infrastructure. And so the main three are either public cloud, a transit provider, or, or building your own. Are network. there any that have like joint public cloud and the private offering? Because yeah, it, say in my, my yeah, everybody that everybody that's going to offer kind of their own uses public cloud to some degree. It's just it's just too smart not to. Whether it's uh, data analysis, uh, analytics, or um, other functionality, every cloud service is going to use some public cloud for something. And the problem is if they use it for everything, uh, that's where the trade-offs and that's where the issues start to happen. And so uh, a hybrid is, is 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 very, very common. How about uh, another scenario where, for instance, I, I've, I'm in a location that's not near a lot of data centers, right? And um, latency is one of my challenges. Have you seen um, options where you can build a POP in your infrastructure or a kind of a DIY, DIY sort of scenario or one of those joint scenarios? Yeah, so th there is, uh, just like in the CDN space, uh, there is the notion of embedding. And so you wanna build, so let, let's start from kind of the right way. Uh, you wanna build in dense interconnected networks, right? You wanna build in Los Angeles over Phoenix, um, but eventually you wanna get to those Phoenix users. And so the best way to do that where there maybe isn't the best carrier um, location is you want to build within that carrier themselves. So whoever your carrier is, right, maybe you're far from, maybe you're in the Midwest or maybe you're in um, South America and you're far from the, these central locations, is you want to build an embedded pop within these these ISPs within these networks. And and the, the, the key there is where do the services run? Because if I'm, if I'm, if I can build within your carrier, can I run an encapsulation? and run all services within that build and not have to backhaul. So that's the other mistake a lot of providers make is they have these entry points, but then everything has to backhaul anyway. And so you're not really saving a whole lot. So do all the services run in every location? And so in your example, ideally we would, the, the designer would build a, a site embedded in that carrier and run all the services. So things hairpin, they go from you and back and forth. And even if they need to exit, there's a faster path there. And so embedding, and that was in, in created by the CDNs because of large volume and large content. And so embedding the the pop within a network on ISP is is definitely a way to is a way to get get those those stragglers, those users that have uh, hard to reach places. So let's also dive into some resiliency. So if I'm a prospect looking at SASE and I've got vendor X and Y and Z, um, Resiliency becomes a major factor. I, I don't want to be pinned to a pop per se. Um, yeah. I want to be able to connect to multiple pops. So um, 
what are some questions I can ask? And then finally, you know, as I start to get into uh, proof of concepts, uh, what are some areas that I can start to test and, and really understand? Uh, can they really provide the resiliency that they say? Yeah, great, great question. So, so if you're if you're if you're a buyer and you're going to use a SaaS service, you want to know where the servers are. You want to know who controls the network, and ultimately, it comes down to things are going to break. And so you can ask or you can test where the second, third, fourth sites are in relation. So if you're in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the second site's Miami, you know that every time there's an issue in Brazil, you're going to have a big problem because it has to go to Miami, right? And so where is the secondary sites? And if you're if you're really want to, to prove it, you can force them to fail and say, hey, I'm going to run a test and I want you to take the service out and you can see for yourself. And most customers don't think of that, but it is part of our, our life. And every environment that I've ever run, being able to fail over and, and limiting the blast radius, limiting the impact is a huge part of that. So the first question from resiliency is where is the second, third, fourth site for my main users? And then the next one, which is a little out of left field is how do you manage your capacity? Okay. And so is there capacity on reserve? Do you have to add servers? Is If it's a public cloud, is it reserved instances or on demand? Because capacity, there, there are two things that cause things to break, change management and capacity, right? And so there's a whole bunch of other things, but if you're touching it and it breaks, where does it go? And if you don't have capacity in my Sao Paulo example, if you have a handful of servers, what is your philosophy to add more servers? What What is your ability to add capacity? Do you have it on demand? What is your scaling metrics? And if you're aware of both of those things, then you will be you'll be prepared when something breaks. And if you're using a cloud service that relies on another network or another infrastructure, you're now two or three degrees removed from from that experience. And so it may work in the POC, but when it breaks, uh, how long, how's the impact? That's really where uh, your disasters come in. You beat me to the punch on that because I was going to ask about the man behind the curtain and how much do I do I really trust him to to elastically scale my uh, my pop instances or not? And, and you know, is it a matter of a man in a van that's got to go throw some more compute, some more oh. networking into it? Because oh, yeah. uh, you know, we all know that 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 takes some time. It, it's much shorter than it is post pandemic, but it to get a you know more compute into a pop it it it's not like oh just magically arrives on a on a truck and it's oh yeah especially if you're in places like I keep using Brazil but customs yeah. is a challenge that's you, a it, that's a brutal location yeah it could take months and so if you have users there what is the scaling metric what is you know what is your lead time and these are easy questions you can ask and if depending on their answers oh well we use Google well okay great but. <laughs> Uh, how does that how does that work right how does that how does that manage so you know it's yeah. tough and i'll give you a great example when i was at amazon uh, we had a lot of data centers in india and there was constant fiber cuts constant fiber cuts because of the infrastructure there we actually had a team that would drive on motorcycles around the fiber paths just waiting for fiber cuts we'd have hundreds of fiber cuts a month and they'd have their splice kit and they would drive around and dig it up and and replace the fiber. And so it's it's what level of granularity, what level of control, how um, related is it to, to your experience? And so even if you're a small user, a few thousand employees, these are all questions you can still ask and understand because there is a wide berth of infrastructure that can be used for this type I of service. I think it's definitely worth, I mean, if you've got sites in, in Africa or Brazil or some of the countries where you know there's going to be a limited number of POPs, it's definitely worth asking, where is the other pop? I mean, 
if you are in Brazil and the other pops in the US, then you've got a massive problem. If it happens to be ones in ones in part of one part of Brazil and ones, I don't know, over the border in the country next door, then maybe it's different. Um, and and certainly if I put my customer hat back on, I used to ask questions like, is it on physical tin? Like, do you, do you need to order more physical tin? Do you need to renegotiate your rack contract in the data center so that you have another rack? Do you have to That's pay right. more for electricity? Is there is there power yeah, in the all, facility? All, all of those <laughs> things, because it, it may not just be buy another one new server and slide it in or more CPU and put it in. It may be I need another rack and I don't have space or the contract doesn't allow it or we need more heating and more cooling. What's the time yeah. frame for that? And, and a lot of your listeners are rolling their eyes as we talk about this stuff. But if SASE really is a merging of network and, and security, the network is all the way down to the fiber, right? You don't just get to assume the network is a path you take, right? The network you have to, if, if SASE is a vision for your enterprise, you have to be able to understand and, and uh, decouple or dissect that infrastructure all the way down because it is going to be something that is going to affect you good, bad, or otherwise, right? All right, so let's peel back the onion one more layer. Um, sure. What services and functions should be live in a pop? Um, and, and again, and that's a it's a relevant question because uh, you want to make sure that, you know, it, as Gartner explains it, that the architecture is single pass. What does that mean? Um, yeah. So as you build your pops, uh, what services should be located in those pops? And maybe what services are distributed or should they even be distributed or should they all be resident within every pop? So, so th there are typically, um, uh, the typical way to look at it from a user and a consumer is the service that I'm going to use, where does it exist, right? So that's simple, right? So I'm gonna use an, uh, an SD-WAN or I'm gonna use a SWIG. Where does that where does that live in relation to my users? Okay, that's that's the simple one. That goes back to where the servers are. Is is there is it backhauling? Is it calling to a main brain? Is it getting steered? Is there virtual locations? And so there's complexity. But the part that people don't ask is where is the operating components? Where is the DNS? Where's the config systems? Uh, where's the authentication? And so if if a pop gets isolated from its main brain, is it dead in the water? Because that becomes then a single point of failure. And so you may have 10 pops, but if they rely on a single pop to do DNS, then now you have a 10x multiplier of impact. And so where do the support systems run on top of the services that I interact with? And it's it's pretty simple when you're talking to a customer or a company, you just ask them, say, hey, what services are used to run and manage? Does your monitoring, your out-of-band access, these are all components that uh, are important. And it's just good to understand, well, we run three DNS servers for a thousand locations. Well, you're going to have a global outage. Um, or does your DNS, does your config systems you know, like policy replication. And when a customer goes to a UI, how is that replicated to the edge? Does it take an hour or a day? And those are all things that, that are that are very important. And then you integrate SD-WAN and other technologies. And so it's very important to understand the services that are being used, but also the underlying operating environments uh, and, and how, how and where they're managed. Because a lot of companies get lazy and they use that main brain where it's like, ah, oh, we'll just have our configs will be managed out of a single location and they'll replicate. Yeah, but if you lose connectivity, your configs die. Most services don't know how to run without configs. You're looking at an outage. And some of the biggest internet outages uh, that I can think of have come from uh, a config, a mistake on a configuration, right? Routers or, or, or servers. It's always DNS. 
Always DNS. Blame the network. Always DNS. Always DNS. I, I think that's that's the first thing you look at. I think you raised some very valid points. And one of them is, is really talking about, it's about resilience, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. It, it, it really comes down to yeah. if some pieces fell, do the other pieces continue to run without them? And if so, if they continue yeah. to run for how long? Because maybe if you have right. a pop that needs access to the brain, but it can run independently with the config you've set it for right. an hour, maybe that's a risk you're willing right. to take. Maybe you don't configure and make that many changes. Right. If you're a company that changes all the time, okay, maybe it's important. And if you think about it from the operator, right? Five, three, five, eight years ago, they managed all those things. They managed their office, they managed the servers in the location, and they knew about their connectivity. What happens is as users move yep. to the public cloud, they lost visibility and control of all those components. And it just comes back to being a gray cloud and a diagram that someone else manages. And if you want to have a, a resilient user experience and impact and and not have to be on calls, you're going to have to understand how that how that infrastructure works and, and who controls it and and how it's managed and fail. And that's is a big one of the of things I don't think visibility is one of the things that people don't really think about that much. Like we, we've just talked about you lose access to the brain. You can't push down a config. Well, really? how often do you make a config change? If you do it on a change window once a week because you run a change process, maybe it doesn't matter. But what is going to matter is visibility. If you don't have visibility for an eight-hour time frame, how important is that? Could you have got compromised in that window? Is the visibility lost forever so you right. never have it, or is it going to catch yeah. up? Those are the kind of questions that many people wouldn't consider. They would consider, can I get policy changes? but they may not consider what are my users doing whilst I ca I've got no visibility. And to me, that was always important, not only from a troubleshooting point of view, but if you've suddenly got, like, I don't know, you run a hotel and suddenly you've got no CCTV footage for eight hours, right, yeah. you're going to be like, well, <laughs> yeah. okay, that's a big deal. So it's it's kind of, I always used to create a list of the things that I thought were important. And then I would hand it around my team because they would always think of things that I hadn't thought of. And I quite often would, would visibility would come up. Someone would go, you hadn't thought about that. And that, that, that's why it's on my mind. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a trick. I'll, I'll give you a key, a trick um, is you can always map how the vendor charges you with how their infrastructure works. And I'll give you a perfect example. Mm. So if, if they're, whatever's included, or default is usually something they control. And whenever there's a premium, it's usually someone else's infrastructure. And so if they're charging you for tiers, if they're charging you to burst, so if, if a vendor is charging you for burst, that means they have to add capacity. If there are surcharges for expensive regions like China or India, it means they're paying a third party. And so you can always map into how the bill works. If, if they have to burst, if they have to have um, rate limiting, if there's a bunch of things, it, it always correlates into where the infrastructure has problems. And that's a good way. If a customer has, if a, if a cloud service is one price everywhere, you know, it's managed all the same. If they have it in tiers and say, well, this region's a surcharge and this has a burst fee and this, then you know, that's where, that's where they're protecting themselves from either margin or cost or scale. And so if the cust if the vendor has a lot of different billing metrics, that's a red flag to, uh, operating issues that they're having with their infrastructure. It's not necessarily bad, but things you just need to be aware of as you're planning your business. Because 
The last thing you want to do is to be relying on a single network in Sao Paulo, pay a premium and find out the, the failovers in Miami and it's isolated from the brain, right? And so those are all components that make scary I, situations. I always used to consider um, penalty charges as well. So nothing's 100%. At some point, there will be an outage of some form. I'm paying for a service. How much are you going to pay me if you don't deliver that service? Because a lot of the time, the vendors would be like, here's a dollar. It's been down for a week. Right? And that's a hard negotiation. But if, if we're, whilst we're talking about the things you should consider and ask for, in my mind, those are one of the things, again, not everyone thinks of. It's like, okay, we're talking about yeah. resilience and redundancy. And so you end up with, you end up with a, you, you end up with a surprise true up or a bill or an overage, or you end up with, um, uh, like you said, like the credit doesn't match it. And so are they willing to back up? Is there an SLA to back up the delivery? Where do they draw the line of control? And so as part of the contract in MSA, is how is the SLA? It, it does it does it cover areas outside of their control? What is the billing true up? You said penalties. Those are all that those are all very telling on how much control or how much access or how much confidence a vendor has in their infrastructure. And it's uh, it's a pretty these are all pretty simple asks, and uh, they should have the answers pr pretty quickly. The harder they they get the answers to you, and the more complex and the more marketing terms, the more you should be concerned, and the more your POC should actually validate some of these things. Hey, you say you have failover, but let's see it, turn it off, see what happens, right? That's, so that'll a, tell a you. The question I got asked recently that I, I didn't really know the answer to was, during a POC or a POV, most customers will te test 10, 50, 100 users maybe. Is there a way of stress testing for say 20,000 users or whatever you have? Are there any vendors that you know of out there where you can actually run equivalent to your workforce rather because we all do a POC and we do the IT team or another 50 users or whatever it might be, but we may have 20,000 users. How do we stress test for our 20,000 users? Is there even a way? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, n not, n not identically. So th there is going to be, there's a couple things. There's going to be synthetic methods like your thousand eyes or your catch point. Right. So they'll give you general latency and, and path. There's going to be um, in, in my perspective, it, it, customer references are the best way to stress test it. So if you have 20,000 users and you only test 100, ask them for a customer that has 20,000 users and, and ask to talk to that customer because they are stress testing it every day. Right. And so if they can't provide a customer that referral that is your size, that's a red flag. And so you're never going to be able to test and simulate all the possibilities, but you you have a sampling of users, you have a sampling of scale, but reputation and referrals is by far the best because you see you want to buy a new car and someone has that you someone has a Tesla, how do you like it? It's much better than you test driving it for 30 seconds. And so to me, it's always been referrals, common common contacts, customers is always the best way to kind of tack some of this stuff out versus trying to simulate all the possible scenarios. But just to answer your question directly, there is no service today that will allow you to I do mean, that. I mean, that's why I, I used of. to use my network of friends and colleagues, find out who else is using the service and ask them because vendors will give you a customer that is a reference and they trust. But And that's fine. Do that. But also make a little that's noise fine. in the background and find out.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, a, a pretty easy thing is to go through this. The they usually pre press release a lot of their big customer wins, and for you to do it yourself, right? And so if you know you you have a big win six months a year ago, that's great. But if you can find that customer yourself, that most customers will ha happily share the share the story or share the news. So it's just, it's it's it is a challenge. POCs is going to be a problem, and that that's why you have to have the right ramp and take your time and. Uh, ask all the right questions because there really is no way to, to to validate a lot of these things. I want to go back a little bit troubleshooting sure. <clears throat> because we are purchasing. A, you know, if we're going with SASE, more often than not, it's a so-called managed service or joint service, um, much like a SaaS service. What sort of tools should I have uh, to start to understand and troubleshoot? performance issues? Um, should I rely on the vendor's internal tools? Uh, should I be thinking about third-party tools? Because, you know, if you think about back in MPLS days, you know, the router oftentimes was jointly shared or there was enough tooling around to understand, is it the network? Is it the application? Uh, is it middle mile sort of things? Uh, with SASE, a lot of this uh, performance and data is now abstracted. So I'm trusting the vendor, but um, you know, I always go with the trust, but verify model. Uh, what sort of recommendations do you have? Uh, you know, and if I'm making the, the dive into SASE and SSE? Yeah, so any vendor that's worth their salt is going to be able to sh has to be able to show you your performance and your results and have to be able to prove to you um, that their capability. And so let me let me walk you through it. So if I have 100,000 users, uh, it's going to be impossible to be able to monitor all those experiences. And for whatever reason, the CEO always tends to find a performance problem, whatever. And so your vendor has to be able to provide you with an interface a monitoring, a feedback that gives you your user experience. And so if they can't do that, how do they do it themselves? And so you can have, you, you can, you can run your own synthetic testing. You, you could build clients, you could do a bunch of things yourself and that's important, but ultimately you will get a phone call from someone that's experiencing an issue. And more times than not, it's not the vendor or your fault, but they're still going to call. You're going to have to be able to help you with this mean time to innocence, right? So it comes down to the company, the SaaS service, being able to on the spot, see the performance and visibility so that when you call them, they can go, hold on a second. You have complaints in Sao Paulo. Let me look at it. Yep. I see an issue with Telefonica or nope. Everything's clear. And, and, and any vendor, if they can't give that to you, how are they doing it for themselves, right? It's it, how are they monitoring Sao Paulo if they don't they don't have that that visibility? And so, there are plenty of tools, there are plenty of applications, plenty of companies that will sell you stuff to monitor that. But inevitably, there'll be things that fall through the cracks. You'll have to call their support. You have to convince their support it's broken. You have to send them trace routes and prove it. Or do they have access at their fingertips the visibility, the um, performance that your users experience? Real time's better than synthetic, but any data is better than nothing. And so the the vendor, it's on the onus is on the vendor to, to prove to you that it works, right? But when when I drop calls on on my cellular provider or my internet goes down in my house, I don't have to convince the internet provider. They know it's down, right? And they can tell you, hey, it's your house or it's your neighborhood. And and then I say, okay, they know it. But if it's if I if it's I'm not getting it, then then there's only so much you I can do. I think that all goes back to not knowing what's underneath, right? And and whilst everything was in our data centers, we owned it all. We we own the infrastructure, we own the cabling, we own the fiber, we own whatever. Once we get outside of your your castle in your moat, we don't own it. 
it's not owned anymore. I mean, we don't own the last mile, the first mile, the middle mile. We don't own the infrastructure in the data center. And it's very easy for a lot of the vendors to go, that's a problem with this, or that's a problem with that, or that's a problem. And, and, and most customers aren't going to be able to say it, it, it's not. It takes a lot of digging and potentially some other tools to then inherently go back and go, actually, it's your fault. But, but it has to be part of the philosophy of, of your cloud vendor to, to want to own and manage and fix those things. So I'll give you an example for us that, that applies. And so the underlying internet, the protocols are not latency or performance sensitive, right? They're shortest AS path or connect times. Mm -hmm. They're not really going to be a lot of tuning. And so we had users in Africa that was being backhauled to Marseille in France. And so when we looked at it, it turns out there was a bunch of peering uh, issues and route announcements with some of the carriers in both. And so we were able to get involved, talk to the carriers and fix the routing. So it stayed in Africa for a bunch of users and improved where if I was a consumer of some other service, you don't have that visibility of, or control of making that fix. And so you may have the best monitoring and you say, Hey, my African users are getting a bad experience. Yep. Sorry. It's a problem with other carriers. It's over. You're done. There's nothing you can do. Does your carrier have that visibility, the control, the capability to change the peering, change the mix, work with the providers? And it sounds complicated and scary, but it's not. It's just you have to build the infrastructure to, to give you that layer one to layer four type of control. It, it, it's, 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 it's essential in a cloud service, especially now that the cloud services are running security and protecting companies from, from very bad things. Yeah, you're basically trusting them with the keys to your house, right? So... That's it. That's it. Jay, I mean, you, you, you've got it, man. You're preaching. And then a lot of this happens then within a company is you have finger pointing between security, not being mm -hmm. able to secure because the performance is there. The network guys are complaining because security is slowing things down and you have a bunch of um, a disconnects, which is funny because I don't believe the security network owners wanted the merging of these two, but inevitably Gartner and the technology and the use cases have caused it to merge. And so there needs to be that shared, that shared visibility. All right. Um, I think we're rounding down to the end here. We're running out of time, but um, I do want to kind of get a, a parting uh, recommendation from you, Joe. Um, what are the, if you had to pick three top questions uh, about architecture that you would recommend to the audience to ask if they're, you know, diving into SASE, um, what are the top three you would, um, you would provide to them? Well, we covered a lot of things. Uh, I think the I'm going I'm to take your three and expand it a tiny bit. But the first one is, uh, where are the servers and services running in relation to my users? Okay, so I have users in six locations. Just here are the locations. Where are the servers and services in relation to that? Okay, that's that's simple. The second one is, how much control do you have over the underlying network and internet? If there's congestion, if there's performance issues, you cloud service, what control do you have to make that change, right? And then the third and final one is, Who's responsible for the performance monitoring and health of my user's experience? Those are all three trapdoor questions, right? If you, if the server's run in a region, you have a hard time getting around it. If the network is run by somebody else, you have a hard time. And if you, the answer isn't emphatically that we are on the ownership of performance, th those are those are all that are they're gonna bite you at some point uh, once you get this service fired up on, on in your platform? They're, they're actually really straightforward questions, but I wonder how many people ask them. 
No, and the problem is they don't ask them because they maybe don't understand why, but the but everybody can understand the answer. And so it's like, well, I don't I don't care where the servers are. Yeah, but if you have users in Dallas and Sao Paulo and they have servers in Seattle and London, it's pretty easy, right? It's just a geographical test. And so you're not asking because you're challenging the technology. You're asking because you want to understand the validity of the answer. And so they should be able to explain to you if they say binarily, we don't we don't monitor performance. We only manage up to you. Well, wait a minute. That's a problem. Right. Well, we, we don't control the network. Google does. Yeah. Yeah. But Google runs ads and other things. What happens if I have an issue? And so the reason why you ask the question is to be able to deduce the impact to you, not to argue the technical validity of a, of a solution. And most people are intimidated yeah, by that. Valid. Very valid question. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, this has been an uh, insightful conversation. I, I've learned a lot and I hope the audience can, can you know, leverage this information as they move forward in their in their sassy journey um but i would be remiss uh, we do have you on the edge and there's always a certain question we ask and i'm going to leave it up to mr j tilson to ask that one the question we always ask is does pizza uh, does pineapple belong on pizza <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing wow that is that is a tough answer so Ultimately, it comes down to your personal preference, right? So, but I assume you're not asking me as a person, you're asking at a higher level, right? And so, so for me, um, I, I enjoy pineapple on pizza, but, but I don't think it belongs on pizza, right? Oh, <laughs> so I want to give you, oh, you went right? politician on that one there. Politician, exactly right. <laughs> Ultimately, you could put any, you could put Skittles on pizza, but that's gross, right? And so there is definitely a there. So I think politically, right? I don't think pineapple belongs, but if you like it, you could put whatever you want on there. So I, I'm gonna hedge. I'm sorry. See, see John's <laughs> in the in the corner of pineapple on pizza, and and I I'm not. I, I John's trying to convince me. I haven't tried it in many many years. The last time I had it was from a very cheap takeaway restaurant, probably 25 years ago. So John's still pushing for me to try it, and and I will. Jay, Jay, the key is not the key is not the pineapple. The key is the ham, and so the ham with the cheese and the mm. sauce and the pineapple makes a nice nice mix. There you go. Pineapple by itself is weird, but with the ham, it, it is a nice mix. But ultimately, I'm Italian. Pizza. I'm a purist. I'm from New York City, and so pizza should remain pure. But if you put those together, like it, it's a nice flavor. So, like I can I see both sides. I hope you never want to go Sorry, back to Italy. <laughs> well, I'm waffling. A friend of mine got thrown out of a restaurant for asking for a Hawaiian. Pizza. Oh, I wouldn't dare ask. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> how can we? Uh, how can our listeners learn more about you? What you do? Um, are you on? You know the socials. Uh, kind of give us a lowdown there. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I work for Netscope, so netscope.com, N-E-T-S-K-O-P-E.com. And then my LinkedIn, it's Joe DePaulo, D-E-P-A-L-O. And I'll be happy to connect any of your users that have questions or want to debate or dive into it. This is a passion for me. I've been working in cloud carrier infrastructures for 27 years. I built some of the first web hosting. I ran some of the first long haul circuits. I launched MPLS. I built the AWS infrastructure and Netscope and Limelight. So I have a lot of experience and passion on the topic. So I'll be happy to talk to people. And I appreciate the time, guys. This was, this was a good time. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, salute. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this discussion, please give The Edge a like and a follow on your favorite podcast service. And also connect with the SSC Forum on LinkedIn. Get all the latest updates and news on the phenom known as the Security Service Edge.